Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello? Hello? <clears throat> Podcast Network Asia. Network Asia. Welcome to She Talks Peace, a podcast that highlights the role of women peace builders around the world in bringing lasting peace and security to communities, eavesdrop on their communities and get to know their stories. From the Philippines to Malaysia, from Indonesia to Palestine, from Myanmar to the United States, their dreams and hopes for a world without violence and a world where every woman and girl can be whoever she wants to be. Hosted by Amina Rasul Bernardo, President of the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy. This is She Talks Peace. It's not as if governments have not negotiated with so-called terrorists, right? Because most of the peace negotiations, we talk about the negotiations with the Irish Republican Army, the Communist Party of Nepal, or even the GAM in Aceh at the time, they were all labeled terrorists. But in the end, the conflict was settled precisely through peaceful negotiations. And Salam, everyone. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of She Talks Peace. This is Amina Rasul of the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy, joining you from Manila. My partner and co-host, Ayesa Abubakar, unfortunately can't um, join us uh, today. And uh, I hope she's doing well uh, in Sabah. Do you know that while the West celebrates the film industry with the Oscars and you've got the Emmys and uh, the, the BAFTA Awards here in the Philippines, uh, in Manila, we actually have our own. It's the Metro Manila Film Festival. And uh, uh, this last uh, festival ran from December 25 to January 7. Now, during the festival, only Filipino entries, Filipino movies are shown in our theaters. And uh, this, uh, you know, this year there was one interesting entry. The title of that movie was Mama Sapano. Now it can be told. It's a film about a clash between government, uh, the police, uh, special action force, and elements of a uh, of the Moro Islamic Liberation Front in. 2015, the um, SAF, the Special Action Force, were hunting and trying to capture a foreign terrorist named Zulkifli Abdir, alias Marwan. But this encounter turned out really badly and led to the death of 44 members of the police. 
the, and they were the special action force. And from then on, they have been referred to as the SAF 44, the Mamasapano tragedy, rocked the nation and almost derailed the passage of the law which would have implemented the major part of the peace agreement between our government, the Philippine government, and the Moro Islamic Liberation Front, or the MILF. And that law was to establish the Bangsamoro Autonomous Region of Muslim Mindanao. Immediately after that clash, the MILF was accused of ambushing the SAF-44 and protecting a foreign terrorist. Those days were, uh, to put it mildly, not good for those of us who have been rooting for, lobbying for, or, you know, for the peace process to be successful in the Muslim Mindanao. Our guest today, my dear listeners, was the chair of the government panel negotiating with the MILF, and I am so sure that she probably has vivid recollections of those days after Mama Sapano. Well, luckily, cooler heads eventually prevailed and the law was passed. And today, we have the Bangsamoro Autonomous Region of Muslim Mindanao. My dear friends and listeners, our guest for today is Miriam Coronel Ferrer, or IE, as we call her. IE chaired the government panel, which successfully signed the peace agreement with the Moro Islamic Liberation Front. When she left the peace process, she became a member of the United Nations standby team of senior mediators providing support to UN missions in Afghanistan, Iraq, the Maldives, Kosovo, among others. In 2020, she co-founded the Southeast Asian Women Network of Peace Mediators and Negotiators. These days, IE sits on the Board of Advisors of the Global Network of Women Peace Builders and is a senior mediation advisor at the UN. Welcome to She Talks Peace, IE. Hi, Amina, and uh, very happy to be here with you uh, in your program. It's so good of you to, to join us. And for those who can see IE, she's sitting in her study up in the mountains of Rizal in a beautiful place called Tanay. Oh, so it's such an enviable thing watching you, Iye. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, I've been here since the pandemic. It's a perfect place to, you know, pass by the period where we all had to isolate ourselves. So very close to nature and uh, eating fresh fruits and just breathing fresh air every day. I was just thinking, it's been... It's been years um, since uh, you've been in, in government. But the first time I met you, you were a professor of political science at the University of the Philippines. How did you get into peace negotiations and mediation? Uh, yeah. Well, I was always one foot in the university and the other foot uh, in civil society. I uh, remember that uh, since 1986, uh, 
we have been campaigning for peace processes with the different armed groups in our country. Of course, the Communist Party of the Philippines, New People's Army, is still ongoing. Uh, the conflict with them is still ongoing, so it's been very difficult really to find a resolution there. But we've had more successes, as you can see, with the Moro National Liberation Front, with the final peace agreement during the time of President Ramos in 1996, and then with the Moro Islamic Liberation Front in uh, 2014, and during the tenure of uh, President Benigno, Simeon Benigno Aquino III. And there were the smaller groups, of course, with the Cordillera People's Liberation Army, the factions within the Communist Party, the smaller factions there. But in any case, uh, all this time we have been pushing for that kind of a policy approach, um, uh, a policy that prioritizes the peace process uh, over a military strategy. So it was both as an academic and also as a, an, uh, a peace advocate uh, that I was put in a position to be considered um, to be part of a negotiating team, this time uh, with government and vis-a-vis uh, -vis the, the Moro Islamic Liberation Front. I did some work uh, as part of the technical working group with the talks with the CPP NPA before, but yeah, that didn't really go very far. If it's not breaking any government confidence, Ie, can you tell us some of the interesting moments um, where you, the first woman to be chair of the negotiating panel, uh, what it was like negotiating with the MILF and uh, later on dealing with the uh, Communist Party NPA uh, groups. Did they welcome you immediately? Many times there have been other women in the uh, in the government team, right? And the MILF has always been all men uh, uh, throughout the 17 years of negotiations. But every now and then you've had two, even up to two women. In our case, we had at most uh, by the time we ended, we had three women in our team. Uh, so it wasn't uh, really new that there were women in the team, but what uh, really sort of like something new for them was to have a woman to chair the negotiations. And in the beginning, as we can see, there was some resistance to the idea. But I think we have to credit them that along the way, they got used to it. I remember uh, when we were helping the Office of the Peace Advisor by uh, lobbying quietly for, uh, you know, gender advocacy to, to come in, that um, the chair of the MILF panel used to be really, you know, stiff and really resistant. But I guess women wore him down. <laughs> and the MILF panel finally saw, you can't beat them, join them. Is that it? Or did they really see the value that women well, brought to the negotiating uh, table? Mohangarik Bal, who chaired the Moro Islamic Liberation Front panel, said that they've negotiated with ambassadors, generals, secretaries, no cabinet secretaries, and so on. But the woman was the toughest. So so he he said. And I guess it's also because we were dealing now with all the really the nitty-gritty of the negotiations. Everything had to be agreed on, uh, talking about powers, for example, there's just a whole range of governance powers from, you know, transportation, communication, natural resources, and so on. 
and and all of these other uh, areas uh, of governance. So, I mean, when you get into these details, and that's why he also said that uh, the the women are more focused on the details, and that's because we were discussing details, um, which we thought was very important to get uh, get done. Because otherwise, you know, we we you, we realize that in the past, one of the lessons that we learned from the uh, experience with the uh, MNLF talks is that uh, many of these details were not sorted out, including details on the disarmament. You know, the, the question of what to do with the weapons and and uh, the combatants, and also the follow up, how you settle disputes, because implementation is certainly. Uh, just as difficult as the negotiation. Every step of the way, there's potential for tensions to come in. Um, there's potential for violence to happen, like what you started out with the story of Mama Sapano that happened uh, about nine months after we signed the agreement. Uh, so this violence still continues to happen if you don't have a good mechanism precisely to to address all of this, and it's very good that we we have a very functional ceasefire committee, all these other contingents that we have put in place, even uh, that come in the way of dispute resolution, then you're able to settle these problems. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Going back to the Mama Sapano uh, encounter, after the clash, senators, congressmen went into a frenzy, criticizing the peace talks with the MILF, saying, you know, why are we negotiating with terrorists? I remember uh, then-Senator Alan Peter Cayetano saying, all governments around the world have a policy of not negotiating with uh, terrorists. Uh, in fact, saying that the Moro Islamic Liberation Front was a, a terrorist organization. How did you manage to, to push for the support of the peace process? Must have been so difficult, Ie. It was, it was. But uh, may, maybe just to have a broader framework, it's not as if governments have not negotiated with so-called terrorists, right? Yeah. Because most of the peace negotiations, we talk about the negotiations with the Irish Republican Army, the Communist Party of Nepal, or even the GAM in Aceh at the time, they were all labeled terrorists. But in the end, the conflict was settled precisely through peaceful negotiations. And um, in these places now, you don't have these conflicts anymore. 
So, and most of the senators and other leg- legislators in the lower house who were very, very critical, you know, did this sudden turnaround because of public opinion, um, the sentiment uh, because of so many uh, police officers who were killed on that day, on that fateful day. They were all invited and they came to the signing ceremonies, both of the framework agreement and the comprehensive agreement on the Bank Samoro. So it was a turnaround that because of the shift in uh, public opinion that was so grossly, uh, that put into question, we understand the sentiment at the time, why are people who have, we have with whom we have signed an agreement killing our police force? I think that was a very valid sentiment, but the whole context had to be really understood. And it's a very complicated context because of the peculiarity of the area and and some of the, the procedures that are actually in place. So for us during that time, part of our uh, effort was to explain how the ceasefire agreement worked and why the ceasefire protocols were actually not observed by the police. Right. Especially by General Napenas, who headed the who was the one in charge of the operation at the time, operationally, you know. So he was he did not coordinate it with the military, which meant right. the military were, was not aware that there was going to be an operation. And um, therefore, all the needed preparation, even for the rescue that had to be done afterwards, was not there. I mean, the helicopters were not available to, um, to yeah. pull out the, the, the team that actually managed, the smaller team that actually managed to kill uh, um, and Manoir, uh, which was in a different area, a different area altogether. So what you had, uh, what we were trying to explain to them, the, that kind of a context where there were ceasefire protocols that if they were observed, that kind of a misencounter would not have happened. But there were other things that uh, we we did try to do to be able to uh, to get you know, to recover some of the public, su- the public support that, uh, on the process. One was, of course, to um, to convince Mr. Iqbal to appear at, at the Senate. Right, hearing. that's right. Give yeah. a face to the more Islamic Liberation Front because many people in Congress have not seen any MILF member. Right. Right, Even though uh, some of them did see them during the signing ceremony but have not really engage them and to see and for them to speak up as well in their behalf. Uh, 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 so it, it is not as if that we were defending them, we were defending the process, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. uh, they would have to speak up for themselves. Um, so he did that, although in the, he was very resistant to the idea, saying that we are still a revolutionary force. Uh, we, <laughs> Agreement has not been get arrested. <laughs> like, and that's true because they were forcing him to give his real name at that time, right. which endangered the security of um, of his family. The second part was this very difficult operation to retrieve the weapons of the SAP that were uh, that were uh, seized during yeah. the fight. By the way, it was not only the more Islamic Liberation Front that joined the fray. Because in this community, especially Mama Sapano, you have different armed groups, including yeah. violent extremist groups. That's right. So if you do not distinguish 
these different groups, you will get nowhere. You will drive them all towards extremism. And the MILF is a moderate Islamic group. And now you had that disagreement. But just imagine what it was for the people in the community waking up early morning, uh, one of them crossing this wooden bridge and seeing so many police, very heavily armed police of police people, police officers crossing the waters onto the bridge. And then one of them being shot, actually. Uh, it was the gunshot, one civilian being shot. It was the, the gunshot that woke up the whole community because they were awake anyway at 4, at 4 a.m. to yeah. get ready for prayers. For prayers. Yeah, for the prayers. Right. So that was the unfortunate incident that happened. And everybody just went out and they thought they were being attacked. And the impulse of a community that has been at war for more than 50 years was precisely to defend themselves against the outsider. But that, that was not... not easy to be understood by the general public. But in any case, uh, uh, what uh, many of the weapons of the special action forces were taken, like war booty, right? And we had to tell the, with, with all the MLF, show goodwill by retrieving the weapons and returning it to the special action forces. So uh, uh, my uh, myself and uh, my uh, co-panel panel member at the time, Senen Bakani, actually stationed ourselves at the uh, military camp in uh, in Maguindanao for several days, making sure that that operation of retrieval, in coordination with the ceasefire committee of the the members of the ceasefire committee of the MLF and our ceasefire committee and our armies, to be able to get back. Uh, uh, most of these weapons uh, that they were able to seize and return them, return them for the first time you have this event happening, uh, an armed group returning the weapons to the police. You know, yeah, I hate to be a sexist uh, about, about this, but I can't help but feel that if it had been a macho man at the head of the government uh, panel, the MILF might not have uh, agreed to turning over the, the firearms. When you're doing your uh, mediation um, activities for the UN in Kosovo and, and in other places, do you, do you see that uh, being a woman makes, makes a, a difference? Do we really add value here? Well, we do have perspectives that others uh, others socialize differently, like the male gender will not be able to see. Um, like, for example, uh, we I did some work in uh, one island in South one, one in South Asia. One work in South Asia where there was a political crisis, and we had to meet with the different political parties. Um, and of course, they were all male-dominated political parties. And what was very interesting, in fact, was that the Islamic Party was the one, the only one that had a woman coming in yeah. into our meetings, right? That's interesting. So that's very interesting. Uh, the rest were secular parties, but it's it's a an Islamic, um, a Muslim-dominated country in any case. Um, so, um, so. That kind of rapport that you establish with these uh, 
with other women or even some of the men uh, who may not uh, react as well for tough questions that you are asking, right? If if a man was asking them even more aggressively. So I think uh, in a way they feel that, um, and it, to a certain extent, they may be more restrained <laughs> to be more aggressive if they're dealing with a woman. And in fact, that was the fear of Mr. Iqbal, that if a woman will chair the negotiations, then uh, they will find it difficult because he said, in fact, they don't quarrel with a woman. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Which, was, as, as you know, is not necessarily true, right? But what they were saying was that it will be very hard to be as aggressive as when they were talking with another man, right? So it does change some of the behavior. So I, I really think if you have a room and there are women in there, the men will behave differently in both positive and negative sense. What what negative can you can you can you say? Well, the woman is in the room. There could be a lot of sexist jokes. Ah, That's negative. Yes. Green yes. jokes, then yes. um, what we call green jokes. But in any case, on the other hand, it may it might actually make them behave better. Yes. Or maybe uh, not. Real, or maybe uh, when women start looking at the details. When women wanted more clarity, I think uh, I, I don't know. Uh, it, it's not because we were we we were born that way, but because we were socialized that way. That when we implement, we needed we need all of this information in, right? Uh, right. And when um, usually at the high level, um, they might want to avoid some of this uh, uh, the details because it might. It might create tension, but I think if a w- woman will be pushing for some of these details, uh, the tension will be more regulated. It can be more mani- managed uh, more effectively because precisely the aggression is cut down, or maybe the the the, the pride issue might not be as uh, as affected. The ego might not be as affected. But you know we cannot really generalize. I think it can it can be that some men can are very very good um, um, at diplomacy and mediation. Certainly, in fact, we have had a lot of success successful mediations uh, mediation processes uh, that were led by men. But I think in, in another um, women can do it as well. I think that's the whole point. And the point is we have not been given the chance. Right. Uh, that kind, these opportunities have not actually been open to us for the longest time. As a, ne- a negotiator and your years of experience in, in the peace process, looking at the war raging between Russia and, and Ukraine, do you think there could really ever be a workable peace process between these two countries? Uh, I don't think that a simple meeting uh, in a table around the table will be able to do that. There has to be, although in the end, like they say, all wars end at the negotiating table. But before that could actually happen, uh, there there could there should be other factors. I mean, it's it's just the same question with Myanmar, where you have a right. Harry Junta. That's uh, right. 
that is just so uh, just just breaking all the rules of humanitarian law in fighting the resistance coming from its uh, from its own uh, citizenry. And on that point, it is very very hard to um, at, the, at the current level of the uh, the, pros- the 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 engagement, the conflict. It is very very hard really to to sit down and think about how to find compromises that will bring about still some kind of coexistence with the military or an arrangement, in this is the case of Myanmar, an arrangement where the military will still continue to hold power precisely because they have seen that and they've seen what has happened in the past. In Ukraine and uh, and Russia, some of the possible Compromises might be with regard to some of the territories that have already been seized, but I, I am not sure if Ukraine is already is willing to be willing to concede that. Yeah, they're uh, unwilling. Yes. Yeah. So, but it doesn't mean that no mediation is going on. In fact, mediation is going on every day, both in Myanmar and on uh, the Ukraine issue. There are a lot of interlocutors who are finding ways and means to make sense out of the make you know make people see sense as to how it could possibly end even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Dear listeners, Ging Deles um, used to be the presidential advisor on the, the peace process during the administration of uh, the late uh, President uh, Aquino, Noinoy uh, Aquino. And uh, Ging Deles and I, we are part of the ASEAN Women for Peace uh, Registry. We were happy that ASEAN finally approved and launched a regional plan of action on women, peace, and security. But as you very well know, it's a piece of paper unless governments really say, okay, we'll implement it. So uh, Philippines has been implementing it for the last 16 or, or more years. Indonesia has finally come up with its own uh, national plan so they can implement it. What do you think are the uh, possible strategies so that we can have the other eight countries of ASEAN seriously consider having uh, implementing plans for for women, peace, and, and security? Well, I think basic the push has to come from both below and above. Um, just like our rice cake, the bibinka, right? right? <laughs> you hit the you hit it from below and you hit it from from the top. So the, there's already regional action, national uh, regional action plan on 1325, uh, just recently launched. And the big question now is what are they going? What are the member countries going to do about it? So there should be that push, and you're, I know that you're involved in that, Amina, uh, as well, in that effort to produce a RAP, 
a regional action plan for the ASEAN. And, and, and that push should come from all these mechanisms at that level. But it's not going to happen unless there's also that, uh, that push from below coming from their respective civil society or the civil society networks that now exist within the region because that has been one of the uh, important trends uh, over the last uh, 20 years when we saw um, region-wide, ASEAN-wide um, civil society networks really playing more even more and more significant roles beyond the track, the basically track two uh, network at the time. But now you have all of these grassroots-based or still track two, track two um, base networks, but are more in integrated with communities and grassroots organizing. So you you have all of these different uh, uh, possible sources of pressure to bring on board uh, the national action plan to see the light of national action plans across uh, uh, in the rest of the. ASEAN. In fact, Indonesia did follow suit quite uh, yeah. because they're now in their second or even third right. national action plan. Uh, Thailand says that they have what they have is uh, not uh, framed as a national action plan, but they do have different uh, different programs. But it's still different to have diff all these different programs until you bring them together within that kind of a peace uh, tighter peace and security framework. Uh, and not just, you know, at the very social level of domestic violence, etc. I think what the, the, the 1325 um, does emphasize is that kind of women's inclusion uh, on key, uh, key peace and security issues, right? Yeah. So yeah. it's no longer just so-called soft issues having to do with uh, maternal care, which are violence all very women, yeah. violence against women, but these big political questions and women's participation and protection when it comes to these big political issues. So it's still different to frame a national action plan within the rubric of 1325 from all these different women's programs that they already have in different degrees across the different ASEAN countries. Yeah. You know, um, coming back to, to the Philippines, now we have a new administration. You have Ferdinand Marcos uh, Jr. as president, the presidential advisor on peace, uh, is now the secretary of national defense. What do you think the office of the presidential advisor should be doing so that can increase the the presence, the participation of uh, of women because you know a part of thirteen twenty five is making sure encouraging the participation of women. Well, I, I think it um, it might be useful to uh, to engage the leadership of uh, the DND uh, slash OPAP precisely to. Uh, to be more conscious of uh, of uh, mainstreaming uh, gender in in all its uh, programs uh, in OPAP, at least you still do have you have people who have been there for a long time. So do engage 
um, uh, the leadership on 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 this question so that uh, the consciousness develops. It's a very, it very natural suggestion. Uh, yeah. Time flies uh, when you're having fun. But before we end our conversation, yeah, maybe you have a, a message uh, that you want to to give to, to our listeners. One, of course, is, has to do with uh, being a peace advocate. I think it's, uh, it's um, a peace advocate is someone who really uh, believes in active nonviolence, uh, who believe that, um, uh, that war is a choice and therefore we should not continue to choose war or heavy-handed means to be able to settle our conflicts, but one, uh, ensure that uh, our commitment to human rights is always strong because this is hum our human rights are the biggest foundation of peace uh, uh, for, uh, especially in our country where we continue to have a lot of, a lot of problems, both uh, economic and political. So for them, wherever you are, one you can be a peace advocate, especially for our young women. But it's very important also to have that kind of uh, a collectivity. So do join groups or form your own groups to become involved, to be engaged, because there's strength in numbers. Um, it's one thing to be... Uh, to be conscious, it's another thing to be taking action together with others and uh, really make, getting your messages across. But on the peace, peace process front, maybe uh, now to go to a different, uh, uh, different concern, and of course our concern now is implementing the peace agreement, which has right, right. been a very long process, just as long right, as the right. negotiations. You know, it took us very long to pass the law, four years. Since we signed the agreement, and now we're still in a transition phase. We are there is, of course, going to be the crucial election, first election in the Bangsamoro in twenty twenty five. Um, I think uh, what we tried to do during the negotiation is to have a very inclusive process, not only in terms of who participates. Of course, we were not perfect; it was not one hundred percent as as it, uh, as it should be. But also to, to what we tried was to have an outcome that is inclusive, inclusive uh, uh, not only in terms of gender, inclusive in terms of the different ethnic communities, Moro and non-Moro indigenous communities, inclusive in terms of um, all the different sectors in the Bangsamoro uh, society. Uh, so what our message now, I think uh, my message now is really to make sure that that in, in, inclusivity is continues to be sustained uh, through different programs and policies that the Bangsamora leadership can now uh, can can certainly have the power to do right right they have yes. the power to do it because they are in power and also right. government because government is one half of the equation they're the partner the key partner um, in uh, at at that at the highest level. Thank you so much for for that. Um, it's not just a message, but it sounds to me that these are policy directions that if our government in, in the Philippines and other governments in, in Southeast Asia would pay attention to, could really help us in uh, addressing 
armed conflicts where we find them, whether in the Philippines or Myanmar or Southern Thailand or, or, or any other place. So thank you so much, dear listeners. I hope you enjoyed our talk with uh, E. Coronel Ferrer uh, today. And uh, this is Amina Rasul from the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy saying bye for now from Manila and uh, hope to see you again next week. Bye. It's not as if governments have not negotiated with so-called terrorists, right? Yeah. Because most of the peace negotiations, we talk about the negotiations with the Irish Republican Army, the Communist Party of Nepal, or even the GAM in Aceh at the time. They were all labeled terrorists. But in the end, the conflict was settled precisely through peaceful negotiations. It was not only the more Islamic Liberation Front that joined the fray, because in this community, especially Mama Sapano, you have different armed groups, including violent extremist groups. That's right. So if you do not distinguish these different groups, you will get nowhere. You will drive them all towards extremism. And the MILF is a moderate Islamic group. Mm -hmm. And now you had that disagreement. But just imagine what it was for the people in the community waking up early morning, uh, one of them crossing this wooden bridge and seeing so many police, very heavily armed police of police people, police officers crossing the waters onto the bridge. And then one of them being shot, actually. Uh, it was the gunshot, one civilian being shot. It was the, the gunshot that woke up the whole community because they were awake anyway at 4, at 4 a.m. to yeah. get ready for prayers. For prayers. Yeah, for the prayers. Right. So that was the unfortunate incident that happened. And everybody just went out and they thought they were being attacked. And the impulse of a community that has been at war for more than 50 years was precisely to defend themselves against the outsider.